We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. It is May 11th, 2018. It's a Friday. Uh, of course, that means it is Maurice Jose Harkless's 25th birthday. Jose, never would have guessed. You probably could have given me about 300 guesses, then I yeah. maybe would have got to Jose. Uh, but happy 25th to Mo. Uh, a guy who I would say coming out of the draft, I did not think he would be in the NBA in 2018 and instead he's turned himself into a much more productive role player than i would have thought yeah he sometimes starts i think that's, that's he a does on a good team on a good team yeah he kind of looked like like when he went to orlando it was you know i was like oh no this is not this is not a good situation for a player like this no um where did he go in that i, I always like to use this as an excuse basically to just like look back at a draft and oh, like for criticize sure. all the terrible picks he went 15th in 2012 he's very much like a 15th yeah yeah i I think in hindsight that was probably about right i mean if you redo the draft he would probably go higher probably i mean he's turned himself into a good well he wasn't a good three-point shooter initially Mm, very well yeah (laughs) but now he's turned himself into he shot 41 percent last year from three so according to uh vorp on basketball reference he's the 10th best player in the draft 
Hmm. Um, although the VORP metric favors Damian Lillard over Anthony Davis as of right now. So I and it yeah. says that Mo Harkless was like barely better than Jared Sollinger and is better <laughs> than Will Barton. So you know maybe not used, maybe that's not gospel. Uh, but either way, I mean probably a, probably a top ten to twelve player. Uh, in that draft which is a bad draft at the top for the simple fact that michael kidd gilchrist went number two um but turned out to be fairly decent other than that yeah davis at one beal at three waiters at four which in retrospect obviously he should have gone one yeah thomas robinson at five you know uh lesson learned i think uh, on that one yeah uh lillard six barnes seven terrence ross eight andre drummond nine and austin rivers at 10 not a not a bad top 10 it's not austin rivers is very he's he's grown into like that top 10 selection for sure yeah he's he's become much better than i ever thought uh you had fab mellow at 22 r.i.p r.i.p uh you know not, not really sure how that would have turned out if he was still alive fournier at 20 that's not pretty, a bad that's selection a, yeah, yeah i mean there there were a, a lot of good players in this draft a couple great players at the top you had draymond 35 jay crowder <laughs> who used to be good uh at 34 quincy ac who uh was third in the league in charges per 48 charges taken per 48 Wait, who i should was? say this year quincy ac oh i guess when you're playing center and you can't i mean that's probably what do you want to guess the top two ursan ursan's two he uh he was second in total charges taken this year and he was second in charges like per minute so there's someone not quincy ac not not ursan. quincy ac not ursan kind of in that same demographic though um I'm blanking. Mo Spates. Mo Spates. <laughs> he didn't play enough minutes to qualify for like overall charges taken or charges per game, but on a per minute basis, he averaged one charge. It was like one charge, I think, one charge taken per 36 or per 48. I'm Either gonna, way, it led the league. I'm going to admit, I did not watch a lot of Mo Harkless magic minutes this season. Mo Spates. Oh, Mo Spates. Sorry. Mo Spates. We're talking about too many Mo's. To this, we've we've covered every Mo in the league in the first four minutes of this podcast. Did not watch a lot of Mo Spates. Um, Let's move into some other stuff. Uh, we're going on two consecutive nights now without playoff basketball. Yeah. Don't love that. Saturday will make three. Finally, we get the East Finals beginning on Sunday. The West Finals begin uh, on Monday. Uh, a few news items before we start breaking down those series. One, Ron Dane graduates from the University of Wisconsin tomorrow. Really? Officially. He I did not be walking know that. at graduation, so keep an eye out for that. Congratulations okay. to Ron, um, my all-time favorite athlete. Nick Collison has retired. Yeah kind of like the the eddie bauer version of like udonis haslam <laughs> had a really nice like last five years where he really hasn't had to do anything at all except for just be a nice guy and they're willing to pay him a couple million dollars yeah kind of thought he'd keep that up for another year or two but very unique career like i don't know that we're going to see a lot of guys you know basically hang on you know with one franchise like that like like he has you know i think you know with especially with the way that the nba has adjusted the g league and you know kind of the two-way rosters like i just don't see in the future like teams aren't going to be willing to just kind of burn a roster spot on a guy like yeah. this which speaks to just how rare you know players like collison and haslam are because there's a lot of evidence that says you should be trying to use those spots to get you know your tyrone wallace type of guys but um <laughs> you know i mean the, 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 what i'm saying is like these guys bring things from a you know from a team perspective from a locker room perspective that good teams like Miami and OKC, good organizations, uh, you know, value more than an open roster spot, which says a lot. Yeah. I feel like a lot of teams, like theoretically, that's what your second round draft pick should be for, but it never, 
it almost never pans out like that to get like a like a long-term backup center long-term backup point guard something like that um but yeah we don't we just don't see it that often because teams just are very okay with like well we might as well just take a chance on a young guy who's right. may be worse but you know the upside nick collison went 12th overall back in 03 he I, I read that piece that i think did he he wrote it the players tribune one Play, uh it was on was. espn um anyway i think he because he he tore something in his shoulder like right away his first season so i don't know if that had something to do with him like i don't know if he was supposed to be better than you know the I mean, the six points and six rebounds he averaged in his prime but i don't i mean i remember him i mean he was a force in college and this okay. just speaks to james and i talk about this all the time like how much the the thinking and drafts changes you know not only you know decade to decade but even like within a two or three year span like a player like nick collison you know four-year guy at kansas who attempted i don't even know how many he he didn't make a three in his first like seven years in the league you know he had no semblance of a three-point shot no one was asking him to develop it right like that type of player now like wouldn't even be on an nba radar um and yet in 2003 you know that that could get you the 12th (laughs) overall pick and so he was a good offensive rebounder, which right. like I think went farther then than it does now, because uh, then now you get into like the Tristan Thompson discussion, right. which actually, if you look at their stats, aren't yeah. <laughs> but aren't Tristan that Thompson went what fourth overall not that long ago. Yeah, you know, Jalil Okafor four years ago went third overall, second yeah, overall. Yeah. I mean, it, the, I think third. Those like I mean, the thinking has changed that drastically. Like Nick Collison's an extreme example when when you're comparing him to guys like that. Right. I think part of it is like if you if you draft a, a a big man like that and they don't pan out, it's like a complete bust. You yeah. can still get away with like drafting like a point guard or maybe a wing player who has like some deficient mm-hmm. like is very deficient in one skill that maybe the, you can still throw them on the court and have it be worth your time. Right. But it's harder with big men, I think. Yeah. And and I think, you know, going back to what I said before, like chemistry wise, you can't just pluck a Nick Collison or a Udonis Haslam or a, no. or a Kendrick Perkins or whatever. But those type of players now, it's like, I don't even think you consider investing a draft pick in them. You know, you can just, you can just like sign them as a free agent, as a, as an undrafted free agent, like that type of player is Does, it like, would never even be considered in the first round, let alone the top 15. Yeah. I was going to I was going to say, does Brogdon get thrown into that a little bit? four years yeah. at virginia like second round pick high right. second well, that's round the pick thing. Like, that's why he was discounted you know he was a second round pick in a really shallow bad draft because he's old you right know? and but i think he's also like much more of a versatile player than nick collison ever was even in 2003 true i could still see brogdon like he seems like one of those guys to me who could actually end up staying on the bucks for like ever no matter what happens oh yeah sure so i mean he's yeah. a player i think I don't know whether it's with the Bucks or elsewhere. I, I yeah. think he's someone that's going to age pretty well. You know, yeah. like I, Andre Miller's not a perfect comparison, but like Malcolm Brogdon, the way he plays now, you could envision him playing like <laughs> exactly the same way when he's, he's like, 37. Exactly. You know, like because so many point guards now are relying on athleticism. And, you know, that's not to say Russell Westbrook won't still be playing when he's 38, but his game won't look anything like it does now for, you know, aging reasons for, you know, I mean, Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon can dunk the basketball. Which he, he has can. done multiple times but <laughs> other LeBron than that James. like he basically has the the game of an old man like his, his game reminds me of like when jason kidd was on the mavs right he's already a knockdown three-point shooter which mm-hmm. is like half the battle when you're not athletic right um and like you know super athletic i should say other big news dwayne casey officially fired 
Um, I did not see this coming. I was looking at just random NBA bets on Bovada yesterday, and okay. there was one. It was like, would will Dwayne Casey open the season as the Raptors coach? Yes or no? And I almost put money on yes because the wording in the in the exit interview earlier this week from the organization from Masai Ujiri was you know extremely supportive of Casey. And I kind of thought if they were going to do it, they would have just done it that day. So they gave this like incredibly positive, we'll be back. You know, <laughs> Dwayne Casey had some like extremely sad quote about how this, this 4-0 sweep was a little bit closer than the last one and how they're making progress. Uh, now here we are two days later, he's out of a job. Um, it, it really seems, you know, if you read the quotes from the press conference, that the Raptors you know, didn't really want to do this, but felt like they had to do something. Um, and as we talked about on the last pod, it, it's a hell of a lot easier to just can your coach um, because like, that doesn't have salary ramifications. You don't have to worry about trades, things like that. Whereas, you know, you can't just fire Kyle Lowry. You can't just fire Serge Ibaka. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the path of least resistance. It, it felt like to, yeah, I don't know if it's appease the fan base. I don't know if it's just kind of project the image that you're you're really trying to do something to to make a change but uh this is the direction they went in i i don't ultimately know that it's going to help the franchise but i think we pretty much all agreed they had to do something uh and again you know this is kind of the easiest way i guess to to show that you're you're making an effort to change right and i mean they kind of hired him when they were in the midst of a rebuild and so he he kind of grew up with the team and so i guess i I don't know if it's like, because he was clearly a good coach. So I don't want to say it was overdue or anything like that, but he had been coaching the team for a long time. Um, and it's kind of a situation where like, I don't really envision Brett Brown coaching the 76ers necessarily for the next like five years. Maybe he will. I don't know. But um, <clears throat> yeah, at this point you, you, I mean, I think it's fair to like, think the roster is good. Like there's, there's clearly every player has like their flaws on the roster and everything like that. But um i mean casey casey himself got them to almost a 60 win team and so you figure maybe hire a new guy jerry stackhouse probably good um good name to throw out there and maybe uh, probably heavily explore trades um and just see if you can switch it up in any way maybe yeah move like pivot horizontally try to not tank or anything like that I did find it somewhat interesting that Ujiri was asked straight up, you know, did Kyle and DeMar have anything to do with this decision? And he said, we didn't even talk to him. Like, I don't even, he basically implied that they don't, they might not know about it, excuse me, until the rest of us found out. Right. Um, Which, you know, isn't crazy. I think for the most part, that's how most organizations run. We talk so much about the Cavs or I talk so much about the Cavs (laughs) that it's, you know, it's, it's easy to assume like every, every organization just runs thing by their by their superstars but that's kind of just a lebron thing um but it's interesting you know i think whether they whether they talk to them or not which they say they didn't um you kind of have to get the impression at least that you're not going to be upsetting your two best players by doing this you know that's not to suggest that there was some sort of rift between those two but you kind of have to imagine that ujiri wouldn't have fired Dwayne casey without asking the two superstars or stars, I shouldn't say superstars, um, you know, without at least kind of generally knowing how they would feel about it. Maybe. I mean, it sounded like the Bucks fired kid without letting Giannis right. know at all. Um, so that, I don't know. Cause maybe you figure like if you, if you ask, 
if you ask like DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry and you think they want to keep Casey and then you like how you guys feel about Casey and they're like want to keep him and then you just ask Casey immediately after like if you've already made true, up your yeah. mind I think it's almost worse to like ask the opinion mm-hmm. of the players so I maybe just wanted to avoid that no that's a good point um so do you think more changes are coming is this the big move I mean I think they'll at least whether it's public or not you know they're going to explore what the market is for Lowry I mean there were reports earlier this week that the Raptors hadn't really been shopping DeMar, but from, you know, talking to people in the league, there was there were reports that, you know, his value is, is significantly lower outside of Toronto than it is for Toronto. Obviously, right. Ibaka's value is as low as it's ever been. Um, I think it's just it's much easier said than done. Like everybody's saying they should shake things up. What's the actual move? I, I don't know what that is. I think we, we kind of talked about it like last time, mm-hmm. or at least I brought up like trying to just you, t- you find another underperforming franchise that is in win now mode for whatever reason whether it be financial constraints or the age of the roster and just try to organize like almost a clean swap and just be like mm-hmm. we gotta your parts of your roster fit better with ours and vice versa right so that's option one is you try to you know sustain this like 55 plus win pace so like you know some random hypothetical would be like DeRozan for Beal you know and sure. it's like see what happens <laughs> I mean the other option would be um you know you flip Lowry and or DeRozan and you just know you're getting 70 cents on the dollar and you accept that and you instead you know try to target younger players you accept that you're probably not making the playoffs next year or you're not going to be the one seed next year and then you kind of go forth with like a core of DeRozan Ananobi you bring back Van Vliet you have Pirtle you have Siakam and then whatever you would get back in this hypothetical Lowry trade you know which Kyle Lowry I would say he probably he didn't really play his value down in these playoffs. I think he was fine. He's probably one of his better playoff showings, which maybe says more about what he's done in the past. But, you know, there's, there's still value. Like, teams would still want Kyle Lowry. Obviously, the money is not appealing. And, you know, you might have to take a contract back to in order to convince a team. But it's not like this guy is completely washed up. No. I mean, he's he he's shooting a lot fewer. He shot a lot fewer twos this year he turned into almost just like a he's he i mean he shot virtually the same amount of threes like the year before shot 7.8 threes per game this year he shot 7.6 so virtually the same there but he's taking two less overall field goal or he's taking three less um field goal attempts or two point attempts i should say right um and so i mean he was he, he was a 40 percent three-point shooter and he has been for a while so that's that's pretty valuable obviously like solid on defense good passer doesn't commit a lot of turnovers like the 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 problem like you mentioned before really is the money like theoretically if if this guy if kyle lowry was a free agent i mean he would not be getting anywhere near the kind of money that they paid him last year right. to just stay on the team which is part of the reason like i thought it would have been i thought they only should have kept two of the three guys yep totally um, agree. when the market was indicative of lowry too it's like you know, they basically told him, you know, go if you find this five year offer, you know, well then we'll talk. And nobody was willing to give it to no. him. Like the three years that they offered was the best offer he had. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean the key is that they need to find that team, I guess, that because I mean Lowry, like we said, it's a lot of money, but it's it's only two more years. And he's still gonna be good for two more years. Like it's not you're not just eating this money and you know, just it's not like a Watching Darren Williams situation sharply. or something like that. No. I mean I, I don't think he's gonna get any better in the next couple of years, but he can still be like a borderline all-star and there's a lot of teams that would like that the key is to find that team you know that's that can kind of trick themselves into thinking that lowry is like the missing piece 
that's why I said Detroit earlier. <laughs> I don't know the money, the money and the assets. Yeah. I don't think there, I, there's maybe almost no way to realistically <laughs> right. make that happen. But I mean, you're talking about a team that, you know, they, now they have Blake Griffin. They can all, they can just have a two all-star team, a team with two all-stars in the East, which pretty mm-hmm. much like we've seen, get you in the playoffs almost guaranteed. Yeah. I mean, like a Charlotte, you know, might be. Yeah. Cause they're going to, they have to give up on, I mean, I assume Kemp is going to walk after his deal is done they're in a pretty bad I place have no idea. they're yeah they're really from a money really perspective a that some swaps could work out there because both teams of these overpaid players like you could send a baka to charlotte for like mm-hmm. batum or marvin williams or i don't even know who makes all the money there yeah i, I do wonder like we, we it's almost like we added another team now that the nets can like function like an actual <laughs> nba That's team now like yeah. I, who knows what they want to do like i don't know like their new front office that would this would kind of go against the moves that they've made so far you know the the measured smart you know not trading 80 first round picks approach that they've taken taking on money this would like kind that. of be an old nets move to bring in lowry but they're you know you never know what directives you're under in terms of tr- you know trying to get back to relevance that's hard because i mean yeah they have they have dinwiddie they have lynn they Russell, have yeah Levert. i mean they have they do have a lot of and that's the type of trade i think if you're toronto you send lowry and you get back i mean maybe you'd have to take like Mozgov or something like that yeah, which I don't think you'd want to do but you know you're tr- I think what you're trying to do is just stockpile even more young assets and I and I think you know somebody like a like an Isaiah Whitehead or whatever like that's too that's, <laughs> that's too low on the scale enough. but you know if you could get like Lavert plus Dinwiddie or something like that and I don't I don't even know what Dinwiddie's contract situation I, is I think he's a free agent I don't know either I think they'd be more willing to give up Dinwiddie than Lavert, just from like a position perspective, I think an upside perspective, because Dinwiddie, like Dinwiddie's good, but he also isn't that efficient, like shooting the basketball. That kind of got swept under the radar, especially in fantasy. Well, like you said, they have Lynn back, and if you had to choose between Russell and Dinwiddie, that's a pretty obvious choice too. Right, and maybe I mean Raptors could look at Lynn. I mean his contract is twelve million dollars for one. I mean he's only under contract for one more year. You take him on for a year you can decide what to do after mm-hmm. that. Because um, I don't think the Nets, I don't know what they're, I don't know why they would hang on to Lynn necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I haven't even thought about Jeremy Lynn that much because he's just been hurt. I haven't until you, know, you brought like this up. Just, but it seems like forever since he's, you know, played like, a meaningful NBA game. So he was yeah, good I mean, though, hell, Right. When he's, when he's out there, he's good. I mean, I think the Nets, the Nets entire trajectory over the last couple of years would be a lot different. You know, I'm not saying they'd be, you know in the second round of the playoffs or anything but had jeremy had they gotten really anything from jeremy lynn over the last two years i think things would be a little bit rosier um all right last thing before we get into series and we won't spend too much time on this but brett brown uh the sixers did their exit interviews today um and brett brown was asked straight up um you know what are some potential free agent targets you guys are looking at (laughs) to go to the next level he said quote we don't have to turn this into a calculus. It's quite clear. Mm. And without tampering, that's liter- that's about as much as you could say. I think so. Uh, it's The thing is, it's not even necessarily just LeBron James that could go like Paul George if they were feeling, you know. I, I agree, but I think this quote heavily implies it's it, LeBron. Well, it heavily, it heavily if implies If it's Paul that. George, you wouldn't phrase it like that. But, I mean, this is a quote that should come from like every team. I mean, every yeah. you could ask every coach in the league and they'd be like – this is the answer they would right give in in retrospect looking back at this series uh the philly boston series like it's kind of silly how how many people were like uh 
I don't want you don't want LeBron to mess up with Philly. It's like it's we're, it's the guy who is just like ravaging through the playoffs. It is guaranteed know, in the last week yeah. has like gotten somehow even closer to to possibly matching Michael Jordan's legacy. And there are teams out there talking about maybe not wanting him. That's, and I get it. You know the like the biggest argument is is Ben Simmons can't shoot, right? Sure. But I mean, I think LeBron has has proven time after time that he's you're going to be better when he comes to your team you're probably going to make the finals if he's on your team right and i highly doubt he would ask philly to commit to like a five-year max deal yeah. you know you if it doesn't work for one year lebron's probably out of there yeah lebron's been sh- signing shorter term deals anyway yeah. lately and um i don't know especially this year and, and recently we've seen lebron take like more plays off um uh, especially on defense but if he can go to the 76ers and do that more on offense and especially because like he's not a great three-point shooter but when he was in miami like it was very clear like lebron <laughs> if lebron wants or needs to get good at something yes um then he's he he can do it so i mean if if going to philly and extending his career possibly um i mean probably just from an effort perspective um i think he I don't think that's out of the picture for him. I'm trying to look up his three point percentage when he was in uh, Miami. His last did he go? Did he go fifty forty ninety? He in like twenty twelve thirteen. He uh well his free throws suck. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the seventy five percent. Well, for him, yeah. But his his last three years in Miami, he shot uh thirty nine percent combined from three just really good if you i mean you remember watching those games though he would he would only shoot if it was wide open like he was that's very what, conscious I, about his free throw percentage but that's what you'd have you know in philly that's the type of looks he'd be getting like he's never really been in a position to catch and shoot threes like how many uh, it seems like every one of his three-point attempts is off the dribble you know like <laughs> the, mo- the degree right. of difficulty on these attempts i think has to be factored in i think so yeah imagining lebron taking a catch and shoot three it i have you ever I can't even picture that can't, <laughs> like just without a jab step or without like you know dribbling back out to half court getting a fake running start and then pulling up like exactly. no i've never seen it um <laughs> that's like an advanced stat that we should we need to check lebron james <laughs> catch and shoot threes throughout his career yeah probably like eight he's, he's that seems high i i do think though i mean even and it sounds you know kind of crazy considering he just led the league in minutes led the league in points led the league in games played this year I think he probably glances over at Golden State and sees Kevin Durant's, you know, five years ago, Kevin Durant was averaging 39 minutes a game. Last year, he averaged 33. This year, he averaged 34. Mm -hmm. I think LeBron would love to do that. I think he hasn't been able to for obvious reasons. Um, But I think he'd like to be on a team where there are nights he just doesn't play in the fourth quarter. And there are nights where he can score... 19 points with seven assists and seven rebounds and they still win by 20 you know and yeah. like that's just not that really hasn't been the case there were stretches um you know when Kyrie was there where he was able to do that um but like but the the notion that he would just overtake the entire offense and Simmons just would be rendered useless um you know it's a concern I understand it but I, I don't think I don't think LeBron would come in and with the mindset that he's just taking over you know no and and it's kind of what he's done in in the past but I think I think this, you know, final act, as everyone keeps calling it, of his career would be a little bit different in that regard. Yeah, and we can, I mean, we we see D'Antoni do it with Houston, like staggering the minutes of two guys who, like, a lot of people didn't think could play that well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you could very easily stagger Ben Simmons and LeBron's minutes to have them on the floor as little as possible. Yeah. And 
because it, it clearly <laughs> clearly worked in Houston. So I I think that I think you can do it in um, in Philly. Yeah, and I think you it would force Philly to be a little more creative with Simmons. You know, you you could play Simmons at the four, Simmons at the five when LeBron is out there. You know, you wouldn't. It's not like they're unplayable together. And then Simmons is such a force in other ways that. I'm just of the belief that he's too good. He wouldn't let himself just become marginalized by LeBron. And, and I think, you know, they have a friendship and a really, it wouldn't just be this hostile takeover, right? You know, like LeBron, I, I would imagine would be more than happy to, to work with Simmons. And, um, and I think that's kind of what would be different than it's been, you know, in Miami, him and Wade kind of tried that before LeBron just took over, you know, yeah. he's basically took over from day one in Cleveland, but I think he's to the point where he doesn't want to have to do that. And Philly, I think offers him that. Yeah, the the Wade Bosch LeBron dynamics would be entirely different from like the LeBron Ben Simmons dynamic. Yes. It would almost be like a taking him under his wing sort of a mm-hmm. thing. And I think if there was literally any player in the league that LeBron would like want to mentor, and vice versa, Ben Simmons. Yeah. And like you mentioned, like he's good enough of an athlete, all around player. Ben Simmons is to like I think he can make it off ball, even though teams would yeah. just sag off. That would be a lot of fun. The, the, the Simmons and Bead, LeBron, like fast breaks. Reddick possibly would, in there too. Yeah. Reddick LeBron is a combination that should have happened by now, but never has. Right. Well, there were, what pod was it? I, I want to say it was like the back to back pod. Maybe at Windhorse, um, I was listening to it this morning, was talking about how there were like two separate times in the past that the Cavs tried to trade or tried to sign Kyle Korver in like 07 and 09. Oh, really? And. I think one time he chose Chicago and the other time he chose to re-sign with Atlanta. Both so fair. yeah, it wasn't just, you know, I mean, it wasn't just a coincidence that they finally got him last year. Like they had LeBron specifically had been trying to play with Kyle Corver for like a decade. Um, and like Windhorse, Windhorse was basically saying like, what if Corver spent his entire career with LeBron? Like would he, would he be shooting like 60% from three for his career? Very possible. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the nice thing is Corver might enter the Mike Miller territory and just follow LeBron wherever yeah. he goes. Like, I mean, LeBron kind of just like, where, like wherever he signed for a while was like all right james jones is coming with yeah um i mean even even when he first came to cleveland like sean marion all of a sudden is on the team and mike miller right. is on the team and I, I think we'll see that to some degree um all right let's get into cap celtics um make the case for me <laughs> for how boston wins the series they f- somehow figure out a way to do what the spurs did to the the to lebron when he was in miami that one series i can i i'm bad with the years but when they 14 when they absolutely shut down lebron yeah when they absolutely shut down the air conditioning <laughs> in the arena as <laughs> that well. is that is very true also um if they i assume that i would imagine brad stevens has watched that a lot um and would probably try to do similar things at least that's what i would do he's, I'm not he's read the too. manual on the air conditioning system yep <laughs> he knows who to knows call all the ducks <laughs> that's i mean that's that's my only case is like they find a way to really just force lebron into the shots he hates the most which i think is like driving left into a jump shot mm-hmm. it's just we it, he tries to avoid as much as possible right yeah no i uh i, I had that in my notes too it's like they need they need to force LeBron into jump shots. And that's everyone in the world has said that for the last 10 years, like don't let him get to the rim. Well, I'm sure the Raptors tried to do that and <laughs> that didn't exactly work. He hit his jump shots. I think he's going to have to start making threes. Like he's sneakily not really hit threes at all. You know, other than the game winner against Indiana, I think he's like under 30% or right around 30% for the playoffs. 29, 29. Yeah. And 
I mean, he had stretches against Indiana where at, at one point he was like one of his last 15. Um, and I think against Boston, like the Cavs have some wiggle room. You know, I, I think this Boston team is going to challenge them certainly much more than Toronto did. I think, you know, what I told James yesterday was like, this is going to fall somewhere between Toronto and Indiana. Like, I don't, I don't see the Cavs struggling quite as much as they did against the Pacers, especially offensively. Yeah. But they're also not going to breeze through this team in four games and, you know, never really look like they break a sweat. I don't think so. And, um, yeah, they'll, I, I imagine Stevens will try some just ridiculous stuff. Like <laughs> maybe he'll break out the semi Ojale treatment on LeBron, like he did for Giannis. And we could see some like really, uh, I don't know, maybe they'll just push him left, like, like a really hard hedge to the left and just make him like, just really like just make left-handed layups, just force him to mm-hmm. do it. Um, I'm not really sure, but that's, I mean, other than that, I don't really anticipate like Kevin, Kevin Love winning the battle against Al Horford. Um, not this version of Al Horford. He's been <laughs> insane. Yeah. And I know a lot of people like Boston, especially, I mean, more last year, had a trouble rebounding the ball. So like Tristan Thompson became like a pretty big factor. And so he could actually end up being, he could end up playing a lot like he mm-hmm. did. I, I mean, think he did. He's, he's going to have to, right? I mean, Boston... Yeah, I, think, I think they'll move Baines to the bench, um, assuming Cleveland doesn't start Tristan. Like, if they keep their five with Love and LeBron up yeah. front, you kind of have to go... Horford center. You have to go Horford at center, um, Horford on Love. And then, I mean, I, I would assume Jalen Brown starts on LeBron. Marcus Morris maybe starts on LeBron. Like, Boston has guys. Yeah, with yeah. Toronto, I thought OG did a good job. But when OG wasn't guarding him, like, Siakam, in theory, should be able to match up with LeBron, and that that did not go well. C.J. Miles was even worse. DeRozan was even worse. At least Boston can try. You know, you have Jalen Brown, who, like, physically, I guess, is the best option. Marcus Morris has the height. Horford has the height. You know, Marcus Smart is just this kind of mini Draymond Green, you know, (laughs) who who can at least hold his own against LeBron. They have different looks to give him, which I think – you know, will will result in LeBron not averaging like 35, 10, and 10 for the series. Right. Um, Cavs are one and a half point favorites for game one. Uh, the consensus, both in, you know, expert picks and in Vegas, is the series is Cavs and six. That's by far the most popular pick. That's what I picked. Yeah. When we did our round table. Five or six, I would say. If it gets to seven, that game would obviously be in Boston. All bets are <laughs> off at that point. Yeah um yeah that'll be that'll be crazy i think yeah i think six games is probably i mean that's what i picked i think it's the right it's the yeah. right call i i assume boston will um once when they can get going offensively too i mean when tatum's firing rosier has been playing way above expectations mm-hmm. brown's been really good like when they when they get going offensively it's hard to even stop them right so i mean they won the philly series on defense i, I did read did. this morning um philly shot Compared to like expected shooting percentages based yeah. on the looks they got, they shot more than 5% worse than they quote-unquote should have based mm-hmm. on their regular season numbers. Um, and, you know, that some of those games were extremely close. This could have gone either way. Um, I just, I mean, Cleveland looked terrible on offense against Indiana. They looked incredible on offense, especially in the last three games against Toronto. Last year when they played Boston, I went back and looked. They had a 128.4 offensive rating. They averaged 120 points per game. They won by an average of 20 points per game. Um, But there's no Isaiah this year. Isaiah only played in two of those games last year, but he was a minus 50 net rating in those two games. 
Minus 50. <laughs> in two games there's like 45 minutes of play that's insane yeah you can't that's that that right there is the argument that yeah. you can't give him a max contract well I, yeah i think that's long gone well thankfully. yeah oh, very much um uh, yeah the brinks truck will not be stopping by the, the thomas <laughs> residence this summer al horford by the way is one in 12 all time against lebron in the playoffs with the one win coming in i think game three of last year yeah which is funny because i don't i imagine horford probably hasn't i don't even know if horford's guarded lebron in the playoffs prior to this year he i feel like they might try it and just have horford every time lebron starts driving just have him sink like really far back um i that's something they'll probably try so we'll see if like maybe maybe he'll be able to actually be a part like (laughs) make a difference on lebron in Mm -hmm. those one and 12 you know one and 12 probably not by a fault of his own right against lebron so maybe that can change a little bit here so the Cavs are significantly bigger favorites over Boston than Golden State is over Houston. Which which series are you more confident about? Um, I think I'm more confident that the Warriors will win. Me I too. I think. I don't know because I've been saying all year. Like I, I I really do think Houston can beat the Warriors. Like healthy. Like everyone's healthy. I I actually think that. But yeah. the chances of it happening some number 25 percent i mean i think houston we're gonna see some like stuff on defense probably they're probably gonna switch everything mm-hmm. uh and then if i mean it's, they're a team that can shoot the lights out but they would have to do something like historic essentially i mean almost i mean to beat the warriors before the finals is historic in and of itself right. so um i i would have more confidence in the warriors yeah i agree i think the the difference in like talent or the difference in like how good these teams are for you know lack of a better term is smaller in that series but the warriors are just like the the warriors top gear is so good and i think i think they've kind of lulled a lot of people to sleep with how they played in the regular season and even how they've looked for a lot of this postseason like when they when they have all four guys going which they will in this series steph will be ready I think it's going to be a a very clear reminder of just how much better they are than everyone else. The the one wrinkle, though, is that these first two are in Houston. And I know Houston's Mm -hmm. taking a lot of flack for the crowd not showing up on time and not being great, whatever. It's still not going to be Golden State. You know, like, no matter, I don't care if the Houston crowd is just average on the whole, it's still a home crowd. And this isn't something that this version of Golden State has ever really had to face during this run. Right. And um, we've seen Golden State get like, frustrated sometimes like the technical fouls is a th- mm-hmm. uh, you know our thing and um they noticeably they get very cocky when they're ahead uh but when when the game is close there is not a lot mm-hmm. of like just cockiness in general so it's like very clear they can they're a team that does feel the pressure when the games are close and i think houston can keep a lot of these games close i think houston's because the same way though they're both these teams are extreme front runners yeah you know and i think it's gonna be really fun to see how cp specifically reacts you know like i was telling james earlier like i could i could envision a scenario where you you flip on the game and you know the warriors just went on a 15 to 2 run and <laughs> mike breen is saying chris paul pushes quinn cook into the scores <laughs> <laughs> like something like that is going to happen chris paul has never really been in a game you know like i've ever it's well well known that chris paul does not like steph curry and right. does not feel positively about how steph curry has been you know i guess placed on this pedestal over the last four or five years um and i think he's going to go at him i think i I don't i'm not going to predict some sort of showdown between draymond (laughs) and chris paul but i wouldn't be surprised if something like that happened 
Um, but yeah, I mean, the key to the series, I think, is going to be, like you said, how how both of these teams, I guess, react when games are close. But specifically for me, like how Houston reacts if and when Golden State goes on those runs. You right know, like that's that's when they kill everybody that is is i mean it's not like they come out and outscore everyone 20 to 0 to start every game like like most of the other nba games it's usually relatively close they go on their 15 to 2 run and then it's kind of over the Cavs were able to two years ago you know kind of withstand those runs barely it seemed like uh and did just enough really in, in game seven to win and this houston team mentally i think is very much unproven Right. very shaky looking back at last year looking back at you know chris paul's playoff history um so just i guess being able to manage those runs and bounce back from those runs is ultimately going to determine it yeah and um that the interesting thing with houston is like golden state usually goes on those runs and they they play like the fastest i mean they just play like the fastest pace and a lot of teams get caught in mm-hmm. that back and forth and that's how the warriors end up winning but we've seen houston go so isolation heavy sometimes that i think that that's i assume that's what they'll do if golden state starts going on any sort of a run they'll go more isolation they'll try to if we assume golden state's going to switch on defense Mm -hmm. they'll search the switch they'll get Harden. they'll get you know they see curry on Harden. they'll iso that and they'll do that like they did to right you know utah and every other every other team in the league so um it's very much like the anti-golden state and so i think like as far as just the crazy iso i think that's what they'll probably end up trying to do i mean that's what that's what's gotten them here you know they iso way more than anyone else and they the reason for that is because they have two incredible iso players including the best iso player in the league i I think it's key though to not not get suckered into those isos like you said you know golden state rips off nine straight points and then it's i think it's really tempting for harden to come down and try to pull up and like get it all back in one shot and that's the pelicans did that i thought quite a bit um although they were good looks like the, the way that you know if you watch new orleans like you know let's say steph would hit a three they would get the ball out quick rondo up to holiday who would have a wide open look on the wing with like 20 seconds left on the shot clock and most of the time he would take it you right. know and i think you know you don't if you're the warriors you don't want to give up a ton of those shots but you know that's not the highest percentage shot in, in the game and as long as you're not giving those up to harden um you know i think you're fine if it's pj tucker or even yeah. trevor ariza taking those um but yeah i mean finding that balance between between iso and and slowing it down and controlling pace is is obviously going to be important i i don't i don't have the most faith that houston will be able to do that i mean we'll see uh they're also one and a half point favorites in game one although golden state again is the favorite for the series overall um speaking of isos i, I wrote down a couple Harden uh iso numbers he's taken 66 iso threes in the playoffs with at least three dribbles beforehand and 43 of those 66 have come with at least seven dribbles beforehand (laughs) which is a lot of dribbles uh and he's also two of 15 on wide open threes in the playoffs according to nba.com the wide open three thing is interesting to me because i was looking up uh at the end of the season there was some carmelo anthony slander going on so i decided to hop on no there wasn't uh and so i looked up like carmelo's numbers basically in the same situation or or catch and shoot open and he shot like four percent better on open threes rather than wide open threes and it's just one of those classic like it's such a a stereotype like a trope that uh like play-by-play guy says like well he thought too much about it or it's too open but like it's it's actually kind of a real thing like players get out of rhythm i think well guys like us who play high level basketball once a week i mean i know firsthand yeah (laughs) um speaking of threes i i 
the Draymond three-point shooting in the playoffs thing has kind of made like made or broken Golden State. It's worked two of the last three years. The the one year that they lost, uh, Draymond did hit like five or six threes in that game seven. I mean, he was incredible. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like a big part of the reason that the Cavs were able to even get to seven games is because they just let Draymond shoot threes. Um, and obviously now, like back then, it was a little easier when Harrison Barnes was also out there bricking threes. Like now <laughs> you really, a lot of the time you really don't have a choice but to let, you know, if KD, Clay, and Curry are all out there, you kind of have to pick your poison, and a lot of the time it boils down to just letting Draymond take threes. He's shooting 33% on wide-open threes in the playoffs. I think you are you kind of have to live with that. I don't know why that hasn't been the... I don't know why that wasn't the go-to from day one from every playoff team. Like, I... Like, I, I don't like to pretend like I'm smarter than coaches or anything like that. But, like, clearly the worst, like, the the worst shot this team can take is the, Dray- like, the Draymond Green th- three. Right. And so, what I wouldn't, like, just let him shoot it all day. Yeah. Like, well, when you send guys flying out at him, he pump fakes, comes barreling down the lane, and lobs it up to JaVale or to KD for a dunk. Like, he's smart enough that, like, I don't even think you want to send anybody out at him. No. And, this, and so, the, I think that becomes a problem, like, if... If if Kerr starts with Draymond at center, then Clint Capella probably doesn't even have to leave the paint still. C- Capella can probably camp in the paint all day yep. and just let Draymond shoot threes. So I don't know if I, I don't know if Kerr will try to like have Draymond play power forward so that matchup can't like that can't and then you can have like PJ Tucker camped at the I, I don't I don't even really know. Like I'm not, I mean I'm I'm not sure either. We'll I, see. I would just I, let him shoot threes. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying. I mean, to say. I guess Capella's like switchability is an asset. You know, obviously, I mean, if you can if you can camp out near the basket and just block everything, that's ideal. Right. Um. But it, like, it's not the worst thing to get him involved. You know, in switches and whatnot. So we'll see. I mean, I think. I mean, even like you said with Draymond, like I think given the alternatives with this offense, like even if he makes four of his first five, like I would almost just let him keep shooting. Like yeah. we've seen time and time again, like you, if if I would rather take a wide open Draymond three than a contested KG jumper. Yeah, I mean, that's unquestionably, <laughs> like, yeah. and that's I mean that's that's where we're at with the Warriors. Like they're that good that you just you have to almost play it. You know, like a, you know, it's it's a predetermined result. You know, like you have to just pick the strategy and hopefully the cards you know fall in your in your direction. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else you want to hit on before we wrap this up? I don't think so. Oh, okay. It is like 42 degrees today after it was like 70 yesterday. Also, yeah, same kind of same thing tomorrow. It's going to be raining like 50 degrees. Very weird. Yeah, really not looking forward to that. Um, Okay, so just to reiterate your final predictions for these two series. Uh, Yeah, I'm taking, uh, I think, Warriors and five or six i can't remember what i picked i think probably six and then Cavs and six okay as well Cavs and six warriors and five and then finals um man warriors and five all right i went warriors and four and what a you know what a well-timed plug this is we actually just put up a nba roundtable we did on the website this morning that has conference finals picks it has finals picks and it has thoughts on other playoff musings through the first two rounds so make sure to check that out